What a day, huh? So millions of people will be making Christmas memories this month. It's the season of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. It's, it's Advent. It's Christmas time. How wonderful is that? And so last night I went to a dance recital, Baptist pastor dance recital. What about that? I thought it was going to be like a little kid's soccer game. Boring, you know. Was so surprised. So it was in two halves. The first half was adorable, like adorable. And the second half was powerful, was Christ-exalting. It was so much more moving than I ever expected it to be. What a way to start making Christmas memories to take a gift that God gave us and to turn it like a sunflower toward the Son of the Lord Jesus. And he was so beautifully exalted in that last night, it was just thrilling to be there. But not everybody's making happy Christmas memories, you know. We were at Greenfield Village. We were gifted tickets to Holiday Lights. It was quite a gift. And we're walking around Greenfield Village. It's just everything beautiful about Christmas. Decorations, music, and treats, and just beautiful things. And I noticed there was a little noise coming over from a, from a Christmas tree not too far away. I looked over there by the Christmas tree, and there was a young couple, and they were having a terrible fight, just the terrible, sad fight. It was an ugly business. And the sad part about it was, it's one of those kinds of things, you just, it just breaks your heart to hear it. But the thing that made it especially tragic was that young couple was not there alone. That young couple was there with their children. Their two little children were just watching them have that terrible just go into verbal blows. It broke my heart. I walked around the rest of the night, and then just as Lois and I were getting ready to go back out, we saw them again with their little children, holding their little children's hands, still arguing with each other. Such a sad thing. My dad, he told us a memory like that. He told me when he was a boy that his mom and dad, they didn't know the Lord, and there were things that were kind of dark and sad in their life. He mentioned that story once, and my grandmother said, well, you know, Kenny, that was before we knew the Lord. If we had known the Lord when you were a little boy, our lives would have been so different. Our lives would have been so different. Today, we're going to talk about one of the differences that, that Jesus makes, and the difference is hope. The difference is hope. It's Christmas time, and Christmas time is a time for hope. A beloved, beautiful Christmas story should be embedded in each of our hearts. And some of the most beautiful and beloved Christmas stories, of course, are the ones in the Bible associated with the nativity of Christ. They're the Christmas stories. We lit the first candle of Advent. We gave that candle a symbolic meaning. We said, we said it was a symbolic of hope. And then we read this delightful story, which points back into the Old Testament promises of Messiah to come. And in a minute, we'll take a closer look at that story. But first, let's be sure we're all thinking and talking about the same thing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about hope. I'm going to define hope. I'm going to give you a couple practical definitions of hope. And then I want to give you a couple biblical examples of hope, okay? So two practical definitions of biblical hope and two biblical examples of hope. Because Christmas is a time for hope. And one of the most beautiful differences in the life of people who are followers of Jesus is they have biblical hope like other people don't have. So a definition of hope, before we go into these uh, two practical examples, 
modern life, hope is just wishful desire. The way we usually use hope in the context of our sentences, we just mean kind of like wistful or wishful desire. I sure hope, you know, my team wins the national championship, or I hope I get a Maserati for Christmas, or I hope somebody will gift me with a, with a cruise or something like that. Or, or more likely, I hope my children will go together and buy the complete works of John Piper for me for Christmas. I hope they're watching this. You know, that's, that's like wistful hope. That's like wishful hope. That's the way we use it in modern language. But it's not the way the Bible uses it. If you read the Bible, when the Bible talks about hope, it's a confident expectation that God will keep his promises. A confidence that God will keep his promises. This is what Christians have. Unlike anybody else, they have confidence that God has promised them good and that their future is good because of God and they can build their life on the promises of God. This is, this is biblical hope. A couple of examples. When I'm a boy, I want a G.I. Joe for Christmas. I want it bad. I've been watching the commercials. I don't think I can have a normal childhood if I don't have a G.I. Joe. And so I'm thinking, will I get a G.I. Joe? My parents do that thing that parents do. You know, like, well, we don't have any money this Christmas. We're probably not going to be able to eat. We'll be lucky to just pay the bills, you know. They do, you ever do that to your kids? Kind of lower the expectations. Yeah, that's what my parents did that every year. I should have known, right? Like, well, there's no gonna be no way there's gonna be money for a GI Joe. Those things are expensive. And my mother, she knew that I would look ahead to find out what the presents were. And so she would do tricky things, like she had a numbering system one year. Uh, you know, I knew my number was six six six. I mean, you know, right? Like, she didn't fool me at all. There was a numbering system. The next year, she did something else. She put different names, like Kenny was Melanie, and Kevin was Nathan. My mom's tricky that way. But you know what I figured out? One day my dad was studying on a Sunday, Saturday afternoon, he's watching a football game, and he's studying, and I walked past the Christmas tree, and I looked down there, my parents are frugal, did I ever tell you that? Instead of buying really expensive paper that year, they wrapped the, paper, the, wrapped the stuff in, in tissue paper, and lo and behold, when I looked under the tree, I saw that my sister Melanie was getting uh, something in a box like about the size of a Barbie box, but I could read through the tissue paper and said, G.I. Joe. It wasn't mine yet, but it was mine. All I had to do was wait till Christmas morning and open up what I already had. That, my friend, is Christmas hope. That is Christian hope. That God, if God says it, you can build your life on it. If God promised it, he's going to bring it to pass. And Christians have this confidence that what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. Let me give you another quick example of that. Two girls at the airport I'm making this up. Two girls at the airport at Christmas time, all right? One of those girls has like wistful, wishful thinking hope, modern hope. And the other girl, she has what we call biblical hope, okay? So now the first girl, she would like to have a boyfriend. She would like to have a boyfriend that's, you know, connected and maybe has a little money. Who doesn't want a boyfriend with a little money, right? And he's handsome, he's going places. And so she says, I know what I'll do. I'll go work in the airport because guys there are going places and doing things, you know? And so she goes, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She, she kind of knows the kind of boyfriend she'd like to have. And she goes to the airport every day and she works, you know, Tim Hortons or whatever. And she kind of tries to be friendly, drop her hanky, you know, in front of fellas whenever the opportunity comes. She's got wistful hope. Hope I marry a, a handsome, upwardly mobile, wealthy dude that flies a lot, you know? Now there's another girl, imagine she's in the airport 
And she's there for a different reason altogether because she's engaged. She's got a big rock on her finger. She's got a pink cell phone that her fiance bought her. On the cell phone, there's a text that says, my plane has just landed and I'll be coming out at gate whatever in 15 minutes. That young lady standing there trembling, waiting for her lover has biblical hope. She knows it's going to happen because the promise has been made and it's reliable. Those are just examples. When we say hope in the Bible, we're not talking about, wow, I just hope everything works out well. It's like I have my life built on the promises of God. Now, how would you like for me to give you a couple of biblical examples of this kind of hope? You would. Okay, so take your Bible and look at Luke chapter 2, all right? The first one is Simeon. Simeon. I think I would, that would be a good name for a kid, wouldn't it, Pastor Nate? Yeah. Simeon would be one. Nate has a kid named Simeon. I knew that. Simeon would be one. And the other one is a beautiful character in the Bible whose name is Simeon. And come on, walk with me. You know this. Yeah, do you guys you should read your Bibles between Sundays? They got the coolest stories in there. Luke chapter 2. I'm just kidding with you. In Luke chapter 2, you've got the story of Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. Two examples of people that really had this beautiful hope that only Christians have. They were building their lives on the promises of God. So take a look. It's in Luke 2. Actually, you know, in Luke 2, this is kind of the end of the nativity narrative, but it kind of goes back into the Old Testament because here you have an elderly man who is, who is a beautiful character in the Bible, and he's building his life on the promises of God. And here's the text, you know, to read it again. And thank you, Peter, for reading this. Let's read it again in Luke chapter 2. And verse 22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present to the, him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was righteous and devout and faithfully building his life on the promises of God, waiting for the consolation or the comfort that would come to Israel. And when Messiah would come, when God would come in human flesh and Messiah would come, they saw all that he would do in his suffering and then later in his reigning and all in one kind of vision. And they said he's going to come and comfort Israel in their trouble. They're under this Roman domination, right? The consolation, the comfort of Israel. This was a way of describing Jesus to come, right? He was, so Simeon was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting. He was faithfully waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I love this part. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms. He blessed God saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. So the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is a powerful text. Here's this beautiful example of a spirit-filled man. Do you remember in the Roman series, we were talking about how to live a holy life, and we said it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, by walking, keeping in step with the Spirit. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, and Eddie, you mentioned this in our communion meditation so clearly, God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, is going to be giving us impulses. He's going to be faithfully giving us impulses. And when we obey those impulses regularly, we're walking in step with the Spirit. We're walking in the Spirit. How exciting is that? And this was an example of this. Here was this godly elderly man who was in tune with the Spirit of God. He was righteous, devout, building his life on the promises of God. He had the Holy Spirit on him, and the Holy Spirit led him to go to the temple just at the right time. This is the way our lives should look. We too should be righteous and devout and, and building our lives on the promises of God and tuned to the heavenly frequencies when God tells us to go do something, we do it. When God tells us to not say something, we don't say it. When God tells us to give, we give. When God tells us to love, we love. And then our life becomes exciting because we are in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the way to live, right? God is at work in my world, and I'm at work with God by His grace in the world. I have a pastor friend who at Christmas time, his wife wanted him to go to the store. He did not want to go to the store. Honey, can't I just stay home? No. She goes, I need you to go with me. He's like, well, if I go, can I just wait in the car? Okay, then she says, you can wait in the car. So he takes her to the store at Christmas time. It's bedlam out there. He bags his car in so that he can watch the crowd. He's sitting there watching the crowd, and he sees something sad. While he's watching the crowd, he sees there's a lady there. And she's selling flowers out in front of the, in the cold. She's selling flowers. And not, they're not moving very fast. And the girl, she looks cold. She looks kind of sad. She actually looks kind of desperate. And she's trying to sell these flowers. And he just watches her for a while. And then the Holy Spirit says to him, go talk to her. So he gets out of the car and he goes up and he says, so, what you up to? And she says, well, I'm a single mom and I just moved here from the south and I don't really have a way to make money, and uh, I got these flowers, and I'm just trying to sell them. He listened to her story for a while, and he got a hold of his wife. He said, come in that store with us a, a little bit. Let, let's, let's bless you a little bit. And he went in there. They bought her a cart full of groceries, and I took him out to the car, put him in the back of a car, and then he says, do you mind if I buy those flowers? I'd love to have those flowers. And they bought all the flowers. Now, he said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, I need you to pray for me. And he, he and his wife laid hands on her, and they started praying for her. And she just cried. She got in her car and drove away with her groceries, her money from the flowers. But that's not the end of the story. He's a pastor, pastor of Granger Community Church in Indiana. He, he went home that day, and not long after that, he got an email. And the email went something like this. Hey, pastor, I was in the parking lot the other night, and she said, my mom wanted to go to the store, so I drove her and I sat in the car to watch people. And then I was surprised when I saw you, 
get out of your car and go help this lady. And then I saw you buy her groceries and I saw you buy her flowers and I saw you pray with her. She said, when I was watching that, it broke my heart because I've been far from God. And I decided when I saw that, I'm coming back to God. Listen, there is no more exciting way to live than to walk in the Spirit. Why would you want to live any other way? I want to be a righteous, devout man, building my life on the promises of God, walking in the Spirit. Here Simeon was sent by God to the place at the right time. And then there's Anna. This is so beautiful too. This is in verse 36 of Luke chapter 2. There was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years. Isn't that a pretty euphemism? Advanced in years. Yeah. And uh, she lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, strange coincidence, huh? Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you catch it? There's a community of people who are waiting. There's another word for that. What's it called? Yeah, yeah, hope. Smart group, yeah. It's hope. We're waiting, we're building a, this is the community of people who are building their lives on the promises of God, who are trusting the promises of God, who know that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Even if the whole world is dark around me, the light is in my heart because I know that God is going to do what God said he's going to do, and I'm going to build my life on the promises of God. This Anna knew all the other waiting people, the others who had hope beating in their hearts who were building their lives on the promises of God. This Simeon was such a man. This Anna was such a woman. I want to be this kind of person. How beautiful is that? You see, most people don't have this hope. And when you don't have this hope, there's really only one word for that. It probably is proper to say that's just the absence of hope is really, it's despair. Or or it's fatalism. It's just believing that we're kind of getting blown around by the winds of fate. And that we don't know what's going to happen to us. But there's some kind of a nameless malevolence out there. This is arbitrary. This is not the way the Christian lives his life. A Christian, she lives her life in this way. She knows there is a God. He has spoken in his word. He keeps his promises. You can count on his promises. You can build your life on those promises. You, you don't give in to despair or fatalism. A woman came to my study once in a class with a few others. And I'll never forget what she said. She, she said, Pastor, she said, when I was young, I got divorced. But she said, I was still young, and I still felt like I was going to be a prize to somebody. But nobody ever really wanted me, and now I'm not young anymore. I'm getting old, and I'm getting wrinkly. And I just think what's going to happen is I'm going to die on my couch someday, alone and old and full of wrinkles. And when she said that, I thought to myself, your heavenly father wouldn't tell you something like that. That's not what a good father would tell his little girl. That didn't come from the Lord. That's the voice of despair. That's the voice of despair. There's another voice speaking. Your life isn't what you expected it to be, but it's still good. 
Your life didn't take the turn you'd hoped it would take, but I'm still here, and I still love you, and I'm still going to work in your life, and you're going to be a blessing to other people. This is the voice of hope. So what is the voice you listen to in your heart? Is it hope or despair? Are you a righteous person? Are you a devout person? Are you a spirit-filled person? Are you a spirit-led person? Here's going to make the difference. Do you build your life on the promises of God? You can be filled with hope, with supernatural confidence that God will keep his promises and that his promises are good. That's what it means to have hope. It's Christmas time. And Christmas is the time for hope. I have a sweet Christmas memory a church I used to pastor. <laughs> there was this little boy, and that church's name was Gideon, and he had Down syndrome. And I remember the first time I ever saw him, it was back and on the right, <laughs> I went back there, and I, I'm kind of big and loud, and, and I went over there to shake his hand, and it frightened him. So he started shaking. He kind of got over behind his mom. I said, I'm sorry, Gideon, I just want to shake your hand. His mom said, shake the pastor's hand. He's like, no. She takes his hand, puts it up. You know, I kind of shook it. So the next week I went back and I stood further away and I said, hey, Gideon. He looked at me. After a while, whenever I go back to Gideon, he would. <laughs> Every time, man, here's the pastor. You shake his hand, that's what you do with the pastor. This sweet little boy. Christmas time came one year. And they had that pageant. That it ain't church without a children's Christmas pageant, right? So they had that pageant, and all the little Sunday school classes did their thing. Now Gideon was kind of a tough to place, you know, because, you know, mentally he was kind of young. Physically he was kind of old, right? So he was a big kid in a little kid's class. They had all the kids dressed up like Christmas presents. It was an adorable thing. It's almost like all the little kids had the little arms. There was a little box and their little legs went out the bottom of the box, the little arms went out the side of the box, and they all had a big bow on the top of their head. It was almost like all the little kids in that class were little microwave boxes. And there was Gideon, he was like a refrigerator box. <laughs> it was like, there they came up the center aisle of the church, the little waddling boxes making their way. And all the grandparents were taking pictures, and everybody was crying, you know. And, and they had a little song, they got up on the stage, and there they were. It was kind of all lined up little things, and then a big old Gideon down down there on the end, singing away. I remember a lot about the song, but I remember the theme was, I'm special to God. I'm like a little Christmas gift from God. And when they got all done singing, they were supposed to go down the middle steps and they were supposed to go out the aisle. And so when they got to the very end, they got the, the last strains of that song faded down, and there they went, you know, off and down the aisle. And Gideon came over, and when he got here, he just stopped and he looked out, and everybody got quiet. And then the Christmas program took a turn nobody expected for it to take. Because Gideon just said, I'm special. And everybody kind of laughed. And then he looked a little bit insecure about that. And then he said it again, almost like a question. I'm special. And then he walked down a few steps. And then he said, on the way back the aisle, while the church just was descended in silence, I'm special. And then you heard another voice, his mother, back in the back of the church. Yeah, Gideon, you are special. You are special. And Gideon took over the Christmas program that year. Do you feel special to God? Because you are. He wants to whisper into your heart hopeful words. 
every day. He wants you to build your life on his promises for good for you. And that's why he sent his son, our Savior Jesus, to die on the cross. Because he, God, gave his son, Jesus, for you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, here's what Peter said. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This means that you have a bright future and you don't have to make sad memories because you, have, you can be a partaker of the divine nature. You don't have to live under the crushing weight of despair. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the promises of God. You can be a partaker of the divine nature. Now think about this. Imagine a person who's filled with that kind of hope, who's fueled by that kind of hope. Imagine that kind of person. A person who lives continually claiming the promises of God. But imagine a community of people like that that get together with their various giftings and all of them think of creative ways that God has given them, whether song or building or fixing or organizing or dancing, and God has given them a gift, and they take that gift and they point it Godward because they're filled with hope. Then hope is contagious, and other people that want to be around a community of hope, that's what Bethel is, a community of, God, of hope. How beautiful is that? And families, imagine a family that's not given into despair or brokenness that's touched all of our families but a family that's built on the promises of God. Will you build your life on the promises of God? Will you build your family on the promises of God? Shouldn't we just build a church and continue to build a church on the promises of God? I want you to stand on your feet right now. I'm gonna pronounce a benediction over you. And then standing, that's it, stand right up. I wanna pronounce a benediction over you. And we're gonna be on our way today. I hope that you have it within your heart a powerful hope it's Christmas time, and Christmas time is a time for hope. And here is a benediction. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.